0: tried to define the perfect foot
1: i right these are tools damn it it's like screwdrivers how many pair of athletic shoes do you think you own howard
0: about 12
1: <laughs> break them down what, what are they all running shoes hiking shoes i don't know how do they split up So,
0: so as you know, I enjoy running trails, and trails here are wickedly different than yours. So, I have those for muddy trails with deep teeth. I have those with really soft rubber for uh, rocks and granite. I have higher controlled shoes. I have more cushioned shoes. I have minimalist shoes for the road. Shoes for short runs and long runs. It's nuts.
1: It starts to sound like a golf bag. I have a pitching wedge. I have a sand wedge. I have a four iron. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> it's really insane. I, I I actually get embarrassed when I look in that corner of my closet.
1: My kids make fun of me because my my wife has a lot of shoes. And I always make jokes about all these shoes. And my kids pointed out that I actually had an entire rack in the garage, four levels high, just of my shoes. I was like, oh, crap. Well, that's not the same. Those are all really useful. (laughs) It's completely different. I try to
0: use the excuse that, well, I'm using them to exercise. So it's uh different than your boots that are worn once and go to the back of the closet.
1: Right. These are tools, damn it. It's like screwdrivers. So I'm the same. I'm roughly a dozen pair of shoes, although mine are more eclectic. I have like, I think six or seven pair of running shoes, mostly similar to your setup, minimalist stuff, more control stuff, higher drop, lower drop. We don't have a lot of wet conditions, so I don't even have anything too much for that. But I have things that are more oriented towards longer runs, shorter runs. And then I have uh, a Two, one, two, three. Three pair of cycling shoes, one pair of road, two pair of mountain bike. It's just madness. And then a pair of climbing shoes, because once in a while I'm out on some rock somewhere. We have a lot of running shoes, which makes us domain experts. There are our interface to the world. We have a graphical user interface on your computer, while your interface to the world, for the most part, as you're just moving around on a day-to-day basis. We don't walk on our hands very often, uh, assuming you don't have a problem with your lower limbs, you're on your feet, and the thing that connects them to the ground is shoes.
0: I think shoes do protect our feet. I'm a fan of evolution, so I can't necessarily give you a great explanation as to why else we have them other than fashion. However, (laughs) saving ourselves from cutting or burning ourselves is a good thing.
1: There's a series of books and articles about this, but being persistence hunters, hunters who were, we weren't faster anything else. We could just keep going longer, and so we wore our prey out. And that one of the possible advantages to having shod feet was that we could go across more terrain, sharper rocks, hotter stuff, whatever else. And so to the extent that you adopted shoes, maybe that had an advantage. This is all, we have no videotape, so this is all speculative, <laughs> but you could at least imagine it's possible. But your point is that evolutionarily speaking shoes are not they're not required this is not something we needed to have this isn't about modesty or anything else but you can take it further they're actually potentially bad for us in many ways Let's talk about what goes wrong. For a long time, I was just terrible at buying shoes. And I think most people are in terms of running shoes.
0: I've been talked into buying the wrong shoe. I find that to be a big problem instead of buying the shoe that simply feels best. or Of course, we all have our favorite colors, our favorite shapes, our favorite patterns. And we see something on this wall of uh, 150 shoes and it draws our attention to it.
1: And and then you get into this pattern of now I've got to justify it to myself. I've spent $140 on this pair of shoes. Damn it. I am going to like them. And that tends not to work out so well because your foot's not really that interested in how much you spent on this shoe. Your foot's more interested in whether or not it's cutting off circulation or causing cramps or whatever else. The mistake that I used to make the most was I consistently bought too small. And I remember people telling me this that I needed to have a finger or maybe a thumb's width in front of your big toe on your longest foot. And I didn't believe it. I thought that was too much room. Like you could put a squirrel in there. I don't, need, I don't need all that extra space. What's it there for? And you know what changed it? was probably four or five years ago. I kicked a rock harder than I have ever kicked a rock in my life to the point that I literally thought I shattered the big toe in my left foot into a thousand pieces, just fragments only left. And I realized, you know what? It's not such a bad idea to have a bit of space in front of... If I'm not going to run in steel-toed shoes, I better think about having a little bit of space in front. It's not such a good idea to have toe... Thin rubber, velocity, kinetic energy, large rock. <laughs> right?
0: You need a buffer. I, I think it's also people don't realize their feet swell, they splay, and runners actually need a larger size than their regular shoes. It's absolutely true. <laughs>
1: I, there are other changes in the foot. It's not just this anatomically correct and the influence of these constricting shoes. The foot itself changes over time. I used to be a 10 and a half, 11. I have one pair of those ancient shoes lying around that I used to wear for gardening because they're just beaten up runners. I can't even put them on anymore. <laughs> I was thinking, what the hell? How is this even possible if my foot hasn't gotten fat? is that your your foot changes over time and it can be as much as not just a half size it could be a full size a size and a half
0: yeah i've gone from a 10 and a half 11 to a 12 as well and for shoes that run small a 12 and a half
1: incredible and and the co- reason for that it, it's not that your foot's gotten fat let's let's take that out of here it's the cause is <laughs> or maybe your foot has gotten fat i don't know but i'm just going to say that it's not the normal cause right it's
0: it no, your foot will splay with time. Your foot will change if you do develop a bunion or another deformity. It's going to widen. Your arch can collapse a little. Uh, it's going to change the size of your shoe. It's going to thrust your big toe toe forward a little. So, your foot anatomy is going to change.
1: Yeah. And we've we've all run into this where you've got a favorite shoe and the idiot manufacturer updates it and changes the last size, the size inside the shoe and the the shoe that fits you last year, the new model doesn't fit anymore, but that's it. So the cause can be that your feet are getting longer or get or longer over time, but it can also just be that a brand or a shoe that you used to like has actually changed sizes from year to year. And that's where, online reviews and things can help you see if you're the only one because people just lose their minds when that happens.
0: I hate when they do that. And funny story is I had run in Brooks for a long time and I loved this one pattern and they had a history of changing it. So I bought like five pairs and then I decided to go to a minimalist shoe. So I still have three of those five sitting in my closet
1: somewhere. <laughs> oh, I, I've actually had this hunt down old brands of shoes where they've updated twice, and I keep hoping they'll go back to something that was like the one that I used to like. And I had to go back and pay absolutely larcenous prices on eBay for a shoe that's now three model years back because that's that funny. was the one that I liked. <laughs> the other ones that I think I've done is buy too infrequently. I have a pair of shoes you really like. And I'll realize I've re- I've been running on them for like six, seven, eight hundred miles. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, what? These aren't shoes anymore. They're completely compressed. I might as well be running on my hands or something, right? These have got nothing... No treads. The other mistake, as it is a twinned one, is that people use the wrong shoes for the wrong thing. I'm notorious for showing up at the, playing tennis with my kids and I'll show up in a pair of trail runners. This is a really bad idea for all of you tennis players out there. Don't be doing that. It turns out that having tennis shoes is a really good idea when you're playing tennis because trail shoes just don't grip very well on those courts and you'll end up on your ass faster than you can imagine.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that it's it often comes down to the right rubber. The right rubber and the right pattern, I think, is important for certain sports, especially with turfs, harchu, et cetera. You want to be able to slide sometimes, and sometimes you want that grip.
1: Running shoes used to be fairly simple. It was running shoes versus things that weren't running shoes. It's completely changed. Not only there's shoes for every sport— and shoes for every foot type, wide, narrow, length, high arch, low arch, whatever else, control shoes. There's also minimalist shoes we've alluded to. We haven't said it yet, so I'll say it. There's maximalist shoes. <laughs> there's, there's more anatomically accurate shoes that are more foot-shaped and give you a larger toe box. Then you get into things like stack height and drop and sole composition. It's madness. Right. It,
0: it, it's really confusing. And if you're buying a shoe and a salesman is talking to you, they can make a pitch for any shoe and you're going to think that that's appropriate for you.
1: Especially if it's the new, new thing. And it was now, what, six years ago, maybe seven years ago? It might have been longer. Was the arrival of these minimalist shoes, right? Where it was the first time that running shoes really broke with the past. And maybe why not explain, did you get pulled into the minimalist movement? So I...
0: Did get pulled into the minimalist movement, but more in line with my approach to managing people in general. I started to think about my shoes in a different way i said if i'm not locking up knees anymore or an- ankles as little as possible i really shouldn't be locking up my feet all you got to do is hold your uh, fingers together your metacarpals and try to bend your uh, and make a fist you won't be able to You're hand wants to splay. So I didn't think that binding our feet was in our best interest. And then I started yeah. to see the mentions and I started to see all these brands arrive and I decided to try them. Typical fashion, I, you know, I made the mistake of going too fast and I hurt myself, but I, I think there's a big role.
1: I was a very similar story. I started off by thinking that I had read some of the what is it the natural born runner what's the no, born to run sorry the bo- born to run the book born to run and I had read some of that stuff like every other person on the planet and thought you know this makes a lot of sense and every, and I so that that helped pull me in and the the ex- explanations were very bioplausible and that i like you I ended up with, I think a pair of Merrill trail gloves back at the time the point being that we recognized there's a there's a reason why feet are shaped the way that they are and there, there's are reasons why Having them shaped that way tend to be, from an evolutionary standpoint, turned out to be advantageous as evidenced by our continuing presence. <laughs> we were able to get enough calories to not die despite not having shoes. So, this should at least have made us question why we were having these shoes that were so bound up and controlling and have, providing arch support and not allowing a toe, toe splay. And so that was a really interesting moment in the recent history of shoes, but the spirit of it was let's let shoe feet move in a more anatomically defensible way, that this is what they want to do, so let them do it, right?
0: Right. I think we went too far. I think we tried to define the perfect foot. And if your foot was a little flatter, it was pathological. If your arch was too high, it was pathological. (laughs) We had such a narrow window in what we observed as the perfect foot that we tried to fit these shoes onto feet by giving them way too many different types of shoes. And it ended up creating problems for
1: us. And now the other part of the body, if we think there's a problem, we may temporarily provide some form of support, maybe a splint, maybe something else. But our goal is not to have it be permanent. Our goal is to have it go there, alleviate whatever the source of inflammation or stress is or whatever it might be, and then take it away. Whereas in the foot, for some reason, we had convinced ourselves that all of these things had to be splinted for life, whether it was control shoes and ankle stabilization or arch height. And pronation, and all of these different things were were, were errors that were best fixed by permanent splints.
0: <laughs> people can't see their muscles on their feet well, but they can see their thighs and legs. and many people have been in splints or braces on for their knee for from the emergency room or after an operation, or a cast. And when that splint comes off or that cast comes off, you see how skinny your leg is. That's just loss of muscle mass. Now imagine okay. imagine your feet that have been bound like this for 20, 30, 40, or 50 years.
1: There's like, what, 20, 26 bones, 30 joints, something like 25, 30 muscles and tendons, ligaments, a bazillion ligaments in, inside your foot. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they aren't there.
0: Yeah, the structure of the foot is incredibly complex. The The structure of the arch is maintained by the bony architecture, by some very strong ligaments, as well as some significant tendons attached to the muscles of our legs. And if we don't allow these muscles to exercise, they atrophy.
1: So the equal and opposite reaction to minimalist shoes was maximalist shoes. So we, we we went from minimalist shoes like the trail gloves, or you mentioned the ultras, and these more anatomically designed shoes that have larger toe boxes. We kept the toe box part. But people didn't like banging away with just rubber between them and whatever they're running on. And so we saw the emergence of these maximalist shoes that were still a little bit more anatomically correct, but had like, I don't know, KISS 1977 God of Thunder platforms underneath them. and.
0: It makes sense, intuitively, uh, that if you give us more cushion, we have less force. But it just doesn't turn out that way. You actually end up having more force on your knee, wearing more cushion because of how it makes you strike.
1: Yeah, let's get let's get into that right now. That's a really good point to make here, that
0: it change your stride. If you run barefoot or in a minimalist shoe, the vast majority of you are going to run on your toes. Evolutionarily speaking, in order to run, we developed a long Achilles tendon, a powerful gastroc calf muscle, and the ability to cushion the blow so that when we land on our toes, the the Achilles uh, and the gastroc stretch eccentrically to cushion our load as the heel. Comes down and it gathers force so that you can push off from there. What happens when we change to a maximalist shoe uh, or a shoe with more cushioning is we tend to land on our heel. And now we're not cushioning the blow that our knee sees. So the ground reaction force, the amount of force that we put across the foot. Uh, Every time we land doesn't change whether we toe strike or heel strike, but the rate at which that force comes at us is much higher if we heel strike. So the knee can see an extraordinary amount of force in a heel striker versus a toe striker or a forefoot striker.
1: And you've said this this is your line, not mine, but the our, our tendons and ligaments don 't like a surprise party, and that can pretty quickly turn into a surprise party <laughs> very
0: much so yes. <laughs>
1: So, what kinds of injuries? What what sorts of things do we tend to see that are just foot specific and may or may not be caused by a poorly fitting shoe? And and maybe start off with well, you've you've already just gone through, been going through this, right? The stress fracture is a good example.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, the type of shoe that we wear can also influence how we land. So if you're wearing a traditional shoe or maximalist shoe and you're uh, landing on your midfoot or heel, you're landing more on the outside of your foot. And the tread wear on a shoe will always tell you that. So you're putting more stress on the outer side of the foot and you can be more prone to to stress fractures there. It also... Changes the way that the stress is is distributed through the foot as you move forward to toe rise, so you're putting other metatarsals at risk. If you're landing on your heel, the muscles in the front of your leg, like the intertibialis, etc., are much smaller muscles, but now they have to work eccentrically to slow the rate at which your foot comes down. Instead of, instead of using your uh, calf or gastrox, which are much m- more powerful, and evolutionarily speaking, those are the ones that were meant to slow the foot. So yeah. if we're using our anterior muscles, the ones on the front of the leg to slow the foot because we heel strike, that's why we get shin splints and other associated injuries.
1: Because we're using we're using evolutionarily speaking, uh, we're using the wrong the wrong muscles for the wrong things. But it really comes back to gait and running dynamics.
0: Right, and it's amazing how just changing your shoe will make you run differently. Every time I put in a minimalist shoe, I'm landing right, on my toes, <laughs> and my and my calves hurt the next day because they've had a great <laughs> exercise. And as soon as I go back. To my maximalist shoes, my knees will ache and bother me. I see a tremendous difference.
1: Yeah, and and there's also this notion of drop. The difference between your heel and your toe in terms of how level the shoe is across the bottom, where the heel sticks out a little bit more and the toes a little bit less, that's the drop of your shoe. And even that can can cause, let's say you think you've got less padded shoes, but it still has... You know, six or seven or eight or 10 millimeter drop on the shoe you're still going to be a heel striker because the the heel protrudes more
0: right uh i don't i'm not sure where heels came from in the original you know design of footwear but Uh the place that shortens our achilles so uh, our achilles is not used to standing at its normal length if you're wearing a heel so you got to be careful Careful when you play with drops going from a one to a zero can get you out of running for six months easily
1: <laughs> <laughs> i uh, I've got my hand up over here it did it got me out for a little while but it's but these are the things that people miss this surprise party problem the other The other one that I find really interesting, and this goes back to these more anatomically accurate shoes like the ultras and some of the minimalist shoes, is that the, the toe box itself can make a big difference. I didn't realize for the longest time that I just, bunions was a word I'd heard, to felt vaguely to do with grandparents possibly. I wasn't really sure. I had no idea that it, one of the main causes of it, in, in at least in runner, is, is a toe box that's too small and is persistently forcing your toes to converge, in particular the big toe, which leaves this this uh, protrusion on the outside of the foot, alongside, on the lateral side alongside the big toe, which can become very, very painful for people and even cause them some serious consequences over time. Right.
0: And once a bunion occurs, it's not going to correct itself. So it's going to progress to the point where you're going to want to have an operation. And You never want to have an operation on your foot unless you need one. But you're right. A lot of these problems, such as hammertoes and bunions, except for rare neurological conditions, et cetera, are a problem of shoe-wearing populations. Now, if you stand up on a piece of paper and you outline your foot in a standing posture and then put your shoe over that, you'll see why. It's not (laughs) unusual to have an inch difference on the sides, between the size of your foot that your foot wants and the size that it's being forced into.
1: Yeah, it's, it feels like almost medieval when you spend too much time thinking. About. I was running this morning, and I have a pair of Nikes I really like, and Nikes are notorious for being narrower, I'll say, than an awful lot of other brands. And I looked down, and I thought, this outline looks nothing like my feet. <laughs> I don't know what this shape is, but anatomically, it's not the shape of my feet. I like them. They're colorful and everything else, but it's not the shape of my feet. But that has that has consequences. I argue sometimes that if, let's say you've had a history of ankle sprains, that some of these maximal issues might not be the best thing for you to be running around on, no more than you'd want to be running around in platform shoes. Is that just my voodoo, or does that make any sense to you?
0: No, you're 100% correct. So we've talked about force straight up and down, right? The ground reactive force, but we have a lateral force and we have anterior and posterior force or forward and back. So if your foot is higher off the ground because of a lot of padding, you're adding a lot of lateral stresses and risks. You're adding some instability and there will be more medial and lateral motion in a shoe at foot strike with a higher shoe a higher stack shoe than a lower stack shoe so you do throw risks in there because that will transfer up to the ankle very quickly
1: yeah and once you've had one the the likelihood of having future ones goes up pretty dramatically unless maybe you're eight years old and these things are still (laughs) the, the tendons and ligaments are still in good shape for those of us who are not i once had a an orthopedic guy told me, I said, oh, I, I just, I went over really badly on my ankle. He said, oh, that's good. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, now you don't have any more ligaments to worry about. That was probably the last of them. <laughs> so I, I was like, oh, great. That's super reassuring. <laughs> One more sprain was all I had left in that ankle. So, so, But there's another example of where shoe wear, where we're we're doing something with the best of intentions, wearing something maximalist for more padding, Has consequences that you might not expect, that it might increase the likelihood of having a high ankle sprain. Maybe it'll solve another problem that's more important for you, but it might have this other consequence.
0: Right. We think using a higher arch or a lower arch or a heel counter that's stiffer is better for us, but it's not. Your foot doesn't want to be controlled. And if you let your foot adapt to the ground and adapt the world you'll build your own ability to resist lateral motion and to resist these sprains a heck of a lot better than these shoes are going to do it for you
1: <laughs> right and cheaper
0: <laughs> most definitely
1: so <laughs> is if you Play sherlock holmes and look and look at someone 's shoes, you can tell an awful lot. You can tell just by the wear patterns, whether they 're a heel striker or a toe striker, if they have a tendency to uh, to pronate. You can see all of that in the wear patterns on the shoe and if i 've had it where i 've sh- shown people that, and they act like I 'm literally Sherlock Holmes showing up at their house.' It's like, "How the hell did you know that? Well, dude, look at the bottom of your foot, look at your shoe <laughs> it's super obvious and yet people don't look and the evidence of the way, how they run and the consequences are right there in front of them.
0: Right. I actually, if a runner schedules a visit with me, I generally ask them uh, to bring their shoes in with them if, if they have enough miles on them. And you do look for lateral wear. You look to see if they're landing on the back of their heel, if they're taken off on the toe properly. You can tell a lot.
1: Yeah, you can tell and you can tell a lot just by their feet as well or by my feet. You may think it's entertaining that you've built up all these calluses, but the foot's response to repetitive stress in particular in a frictional form is a callus. So having all these calluses is not some badge of honor that, look at me, I run long miles, I've got these calluses. No, it's a sign that something's wrong. Something's rubbing somewhere where your foot's not entirely happy about it. So it's built up a tougher layer of, or a couple of layers of tissue to protect itself. So there's another example of where by paying attention to what's happening around your foot, you can actually get a pretty good idea whether something's slipping, your shoes are too short, you're developing calluses on the fronts of your toes. This is all evidence sitting there right right there in front of you. I don't need someone else to tell me.
0: Right. Uh, That's definitely an issue where the location matters. So if I see them on toes, if I see them on the outside of the foot, then it's a sign of problems. If I see it under the big toe, I'm not necessarily worried because that's your landing and takeoff point. But it definitely comes into play.
1: Yeah, but if it's on the side of your big toe or something like that, I'm right away. This is a problem. Your foot's trying to splay. Whatever you're wearing is preventing it. And bam, you, know, you can sand it down. All, I knew a guy who used to sand it down like every month or something. It's like, stop belt sanding your foot and get shoes that fit. <laughs> this is ridiculous. Anyway, so people are people are unhinged. So that's one of the examples I give. You, you listen to them, pay attention, look at what's going on and others are I-, I never used to do this but i do fairly religiously now rotate shoes what's your feeling about rotating shoes other than obviously for different terrain but going back and forth between minimalists and others and uh, just not always wearing the same shoe every time you go out
0: yes i've i've gone to try and run in more minimalist shoes more often than not unfortunately as You probably know there's a very fine difference. You can't go possibly or partial minimalist shoes. You can't use a quote-unquote minimalist shoe with some midfoot padding. As soon as you start to add anything to a minimalist shoe, it changes you back to a heel striker. But definitely trying to run in a more minimalist pattern more and more and i must say that i'm finding a difference my feet feel differently the next morning they hurt less after a long run but you're absolutely correct every shoe is engineered differently and so it's better to rotate through them if you're going to stick with a normal shoe because it'll change the forces that were applied to your feet (laughs)
1: I mentioned this a bit earlier, retiring them sooner than you think. Just because you don't have holes in the bottoms or sides or whatever else, that doesn't mean this shoe is good for another 200, 300 miles.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt, especially with a lot of of the more cushiony ones, they are only lasting 150 to to 200 miles. And some, like the Zeros, will guarantee their sole for 5,000 miles. But I think th- three hundred miles is a, gu- a good threshold f- for you to change your shoes. at uh,
1: Yeah, I was saying this to someone the other day, and they're like, "Yeah, well, and how am I supposed to log all of this?" And, well, it's actually pretty easy. Just put them all. In, I, Strava, I Stra- right? I yeah. use Strava. We both use Strava. Put it, put it in. Log the shoe that you used on whenever you did, and eventually you'll see the distance you ran. I have friends who who use Strava and haven't changed their shoes that they have logged on there. And I know one guy has like. 10,000 miles on one pair of shoes. I sent him a note the other day saying, "I think it's unlikely you've run 10,000 miles on those shoes." He's like, "Oh, I keep forgetting to change." But the feature is there, so feel feel free to use it cuz it's going to it's going to make a big difference. If you want to proactively watch out for signs of injury in in a in the foot, if I'm a runner, it's normal to feel aches and pains in your foot. I always joke if I run long enough, every part of my body hurts at least once that day. So for me, it's perfectly normal. Something's going to hurt. It's just as long as it keeps moving around. It's not the same thing on the entire run. But on the foot, what are, the, what are the, the ringing, maybe the distant alarm bells and then louder alarm bells that people should watch for in terms of indicators that something's wrong and you might want to stop?
0: So to me, it, it deals with the location a lot. I see a fair number of calcaneus stress fractures, metatarsal stress fractures. If if you have a pain that alters the way that you run, or you're taking s- something for it, or you're making your run shorter, you need to see someone. If you have some achiness at the end of a run i'm really not concerned if the next morning the pain is minimal by the time you're up and moving around and out of the bathroom you probably don't have to worry about it if the pain the next day is worse than the pain was the previous day you may want to have someone take a look
1: so let's summarize just How important are shoes? Do they prevent injury? Do they cause injury? Is this all just fashion? Where do we come down on this?
0: These shoe patterns don't matter. There's no change in injury prevalence, whether you're wearing a maximalist shoe, a minimalist shoe, a well-padded arch, etc. It turns out you need to run in the shoe that feels right for you. It shouldn't feel tight. It shouldn't feel constricting you shouldn't feel like you have too much or, or too little little room in it don't listen to the people who are trying to push you into a certain sh- shoe type
1: yeah i'm a sucker for everything that's new another box of shoes just showed up at the house today and my kids just rolled their eyes at me so someone else could take your advice because i'm clearly not using it but anyways thanks howard you're welcome paul podcast is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services including the giving of medical advice. No doctor patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. Content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions and we will not respond to requests for medical advice.